0: Old Testament reading this morning is from Hosea, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I ask you to please turn with me to Hosea, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. This is the hard hearts of... Those who were to know him and those who were to love and trust in him, and yet they turn away from him, and we see the hardness of that heart that we have. Even if we're all around the Lord, we can still have that hard heart until His grace breaks through in our lives. So Hosea, Hosea chapter four, verses one through nine. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Why? There's no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, breaking all the bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet, let no one contend, and let no one accuse; for with you is my contention, O priests, you shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priests to me, and since you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also, I also will forget your children, the more they increased. The more they sinned against me, I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sins of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity and they shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. And our New Testament reading is our reading for this morning is in Romans chapter 10. We're beginning Romans 10 and I'll read the first five verses this morning. Paul continues on, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, for them is that they may be saved. And he's speaking uh, to uh, his, kin, his kinsmen, the Jews especially. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. And may God bless the reading of his word, the preaching, receiving his word this morning. Just pray for our edification and that we learn and grow as we continue on through Romans. We are preaching in an expository fashion. So we deal with every verse or, you know, section at least of, of the books. Sometimes it gets a little tedious and tough, but it's not. It's the best way to do it because you're getting the feel. This is what Paul was writing to the churches there that they needed to learn and understand. So we're just following suit in that way. So the context as we're going through this, you know, just to remind you, Chapters nine through eleven, the overall umbrella context is Paul's concern. Paul's really concerned for his kinsmen after the flesh. He's concerned for the Jewish people. But in that, he's talking about God so much about God's grace, mercy, salvation, uh, election. Um, and, and we've been talking for the last many weeks anyway of God's sovereign election. And that explains why, as we saw last week, why you Uh, that many that you would expect to believe because of what they have just don't and then they reject God. And then again, those who do not have much in the way of knowledge of God or understanding or the things of God in that way, come to a saving faith and trust. So we really dug into that and I guess for five sermons um, in in regards to that. And 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 I mentioned many times when we were talking about that, we were kind of taken behind the curtain a little bit to see God's sovereign election, his work in that way, almost behind the scenes. Well, today We come from behind the curtain. Now we're in front of the curtain, right? We're out from behind it, and we really see what rejection looks like from a human perspective, really, what people actually do and and how they reject God, take the truth of God, take the, the grace of God and twist it and turn it and get it all messed up and unless or until God changes their hearts. So we're behind that. We see why in people's hearts and minds they reject Christ and how they sought to gain salvation in another way. And it was this, it was through that, just our sinful nature and our sinful hearts. Our default position, as it were, is always self-salvation. It's always about something that we do and that we maintain and that we have to strive so that God or whatever we're trying to reach shows favor to us pours out grace upon us, but we have to earn that somehow. And that's what we, that's the default position. People just don't get grace. It's hard to, isn't it? Because everything in our life is kind of a merit system. If you do good, you're going to be rewarded. If you don't, you're going to get in trouble. The better you do at work, the better it is for you. We live in that kind of system. That's why this is so, so counterintuitive. It goes against the grain. It goes against every fiber of our being, you know, no, no work to be done on my behalf. And we just, Believe, trust in him by grace? Doesn't sound, no, we very easily get led astray. We go to our default position, self-salvation through works. We try to earn, we try to merit, we try to persuade, we try to please God, appease God through our own efforts. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about this morning with most of his fellow kinsmen, most of the Jews. Look, it says it right here. They have a zeal for God in uh, verse 2. It says, you know, I bear them witness that they do have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God. But the first thing we need to learn and understand about this is that zeal does not mean authentic faith. Don't, don't confuse that. Don't misunderstand, being zealous, being intense. And there's, you know, there's intensity. That word for zeal means that, that you're very intense. You're very fixated. You're very sincere. You're very passionate, enthusiastic. You have a desire. You have a commitment to something very much. That that zeal, you know, that's a strong word. But you have to understand that it's not enough. Zeal is not enough. Lots of people have zeal, and right? they're zealous for all kinds of things. Talk to committed Muslims; they are zealous for their faith, and will do just about anything, including self-sacrifice, in order to have a place in heaven. If that, if it means that, Buddhists, Hindus, talk to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. How dedicated, how zealous they are, how enthusiastic they are about their faith, and willing to share it. The dedication and the commitment that they have—that's zeal, right? The Jews at this time, their lives revolved around God. From the Torah to the temple, the sacrifices to the Sabbath, feast, laws, covenants, everything was around God, wasn't it? And and Paul's saying that they have a zeal for God. And when people have a zeal and they try so hard and they are so sincere, it's not a fake sincerity. They're, they're, they really believe. They're true believers in that way. And they're really working at their faith and they're trying to be the best that they, they can. Somehow in our minds, and our hearts, we want to say that that counts for something, right? That count, doesn't this count for anything. That person is so nice. That person is so good. That person is so caring, right? They're, or they're really committed to what they believe in. Doesn't that count for anything with you, God? Right? Shouldn't it? Right? No. Wrong. Wrong. Not because they were following prescribed tenets that the Lord gave them. Right? The Lord gave them these things. But what was happening in large measure, and here's the problem, they were counting on gaining favor with God by doing by participating kind of as a means of obtaining salvation and that 's where we get astray that 's where we go wrong. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone and christ alone isn't it? it doesn't matter how zealous you are and how hard you work and like the things that are put before you i 'm going to do look at me God, I just see how how, how hard i 'm trying and how well i 'm doing most of the time right that's that's kind of the tendency and look it doesn't mean. That zeal, passion, commitment are bad things. No, 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 no. You should be zealous. As your pastor, I want you to be zealous. I wish so many more of you were zealous for the things of the faith, that you had that deeper commitment, that you were out there, that you had that desire to serve. That's always the pastors and elders. That's We love to see that, don't we? You have that zeal for the Lord. But that zeal must come from the correct motivation, and that's the problem. And that was a problem here for these people. It has to come from the, not, it has to come out of the true faith. That's where it comes from. As we're pursuing sanctification, as we're pursuing obedience, but not seeking to achieve salvation. And that's where the mistake comes. Right there. That's the point. They had a zeal for God and it's good to have a zeal. It's good to have zeal. But then he goes on to say, but not according to knowledge. Now that's bad. It's good to have zeal. Not according to knowledge. Well that's bad. That's where you get in trouble. Zealously doing the wrong thing or even doing the right thing in the wrong way doesn't give you what you need in order to be res- rescued by God. Do you understand that? That's a big deal. Cuz you have all these other religion all these other people well they're really good Muslims. Doesn't that count for something? You know they're really practicing their religion. Doesn't that, where, where there's a touchstone with Christianity shouldn't God take that into consideration and maybe give them grace in that way? No. Because they're not doing what's actually prescribed by God. They're not seeking to serve the Lord or to know him. You could put all the world's religions, all the world's philosophy in that category to be sure. They have all the zeal in the world, but they're not doing what God prescribed. They're not believing and trusting on Jesus Christ. You could do the right thing in the wrong way, and that's for many of the Jews. We're going to see that's kind of going to unfold in this message. You could do the right thing and have zeal for that, but do it in the wrong way. And that's kind of what the problem was for the Jews. Zeal without knowledge. Zeal without really, really knowing him. And it's only when you know him savingly, here's the thing, it's only when you know him savingly that you could be used by him rightly. Do you understand that? If you're wasting, not wasting, but if you're using all your time and effort to try to gain favor with him and not living for him, living out that grace, you have it backwards in that way. It's only when you know him that you're used by him. because. When you know him, you're not trying to get anything from him. Do you know what I mean? You're not trying to, you're not trying to like get salvation from him. You already have that. You're not trying to gain anything from him. So you're not working to gain, but you're doing because you have, you have him. And that's, that's the big difference. When you have him, when you, when, you're able to serve him in that way. You're not trying to do the good thing, right thing so that he'll love you. But because he loves you, you're able to do these kinds of things with zeal and you're able to live for him and you're able to be an instrument in his hands. You're completely his, right? You belong to him. And then you could serve him with all that zeal. Serve him without having to or attempting to gain anything from him because you already have his love. That's a big difference. It's, it's really important and vital that you get that because you want to do things to say okay God love me no 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 you love me and here's what I'm going to do so you're not worried about trying to gain you're giving yourself completely over to him that's what they were missing here they had the zeal but they did not have the knowledge look what he goes on to say verse 3 for being ignorant of the righteousness of God being ignorant of the righteousness of God how could that be they had all the advantages they had the covenants. They had the great Shema, teaching your children, going along, doing the re- everything. How could they be ignorant? That's <laughs> the Gentiles. You can understand because they didn't have the things of God, and they had their own gods, and so on and so forth. But these are His people. How could they be ignorant? Ah, don't you see it? That's it. That's it's 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 that. That's the sin nature. That's the sin nature and the nature of sin. It doesn't matter. Apart from grace, we can have everything, but we're not going to know. We're not going to comprehend. We're not going to see. We're not going to know the truth. Do you understand that? So there's a lot of people close to Christ Jesus. There's a lot of people that go to church. There's a lot of people that read their Bibles. There's a lot of people that attend Bible study. They do all these things, and yet they do not know Christ. They're they all around him but they don't have him. That's still the, that shows the sin nature. That shows the nature of sin and our need for grace and our need for that grace to break through in our hearts. Amen and praise God. He causes us to see the truth because what sin will do, it'll take these good things and it'll twist, it'll distort, it'll mimic, just like Satan mimics, but ultimately it rejects and it replaces God with man. It's the bottom line. That's what Paul's saying. They have a knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. They were ignorant of his righteousness, of the things that he had for salvation. They were turning that and they were twisting it. What were they doing? How it goes on to say they were seeking to establish their own. And they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Again, do you see that? It's just horrific. it's just a tragedy in so many ways, man. They're 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 seeking to establish their own righteousness before God. Instead of, by God's grace, seeing the righteousness in Christ, everything that pointed to Him and trusting in Him, they said, no, 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 no. I'm going to have to do it my own way. I'm going to have to try to do it. I'm going to have to try to earn His favor. Just like my daddy who never accepted me, I'm going to try to be the best child I could be so I get my daddy's love or my mommy's attention. That's, that's not, that, it's twisted in that way. So we look at the religious, the religiously committed, And we do see a sincerity. I'm not saying that they weren't sincere. They had that zeal for sure, outwardly. But here it is. In reality, in reality, outwardly sincere, doing all that. In reality, it's the twin sins of pride and arrogance, disguised as humility and holiness. And that's, this is going to sound harsh. It's not, it is. It, It ought to be because it shows the depth of our sinfulness apart from grace that that they're religiously, religiously committed, they're doing, they're doing and hoping and, and praying that God sees and trying the best <sighs> instead of being humbled before the Lord. Do you see where the sin is in that? We're saying, I have to do it. Christ it doesn't matter what you've done. I have to do it on my own. So I'm rejecting you so I can do it so you can accept me. People see a noble person, somebody who's, who's admirable in many ways. And what they do, in their dedication, the way that they care, and they're serious. Resist that. Resist that. Listen, to the religious Jews in Jesus' day, this is an insult because outwardly it seems kind of nice. They try so hard. Hey, you're so nice. He's really working hard. Deep down in the soul, that's a sin of, of pride and rejection of God. That's what that is. And you need to understand that. Please. Because we want to say, oh, isn't there some credit? You know, that, that guy's really, to the religious Jews of Jesus' day, to even begin to think that they could use the things that were given to them by God, all the covenants, the temple, the feasts, the types, the fortune, God gave them all those things, to think that they could use those things given to God to show them and to teach them those things given by God, the law given by God, all these things are given by God to sh- was to show the people that they could not. Do you understand? That they could not do. He wasn't saying, okay, here's the bar, meet these things, and then you're going to be saved. He's saying, here are these things. They're pointing to the Savior. You need to see that you can't do these things. But you see, you understand, they, they, didn't, they rejected that righteousness of God, and they come up with their own system. And that's the default position that we all go back to, and that's works-based. I'm going to do this. Somehow I'm going to please God. They took the things given to show, to teach them that they could not do enough, that they could not be holy enough, that they could not be religious enough, that they couldn't be righteous enough to please him, to appease him, to move him, to shower them with his grace. That, beloved, is the height of pride and arrogance. It's not these people trying so hard and desperately wanting to know God and and giving it their all with all their desire. Deep, deep, deep down, that's the sin of pride and arrogance because you're saying, I'm going to do this so God will see me and accept me. Forget about that work of Christ. So they try to keep the law instead of being crushed by the law. One of the things that when, they, when you come before the law of God, what it should do, it should crush you. You shouldn't say, well, I'm going to do my best to keep it. How long is that going to last? How, how far are you going to go trying to keep that law perfectly in thought, word, and deed? Every aspect of it, every category of it. No, right now, probably in your mind, you're sinning in some way. You're breaking that law along the way, aren't you? Coming to church, I don't know. You can't do it. That law is meant to crush you. It's meant, it's meant for you to look at it and say, I love this law, it's beautiful, it's God, but I can't do this. I can't. If I try, I'm going to fall short. That's what it's meant to do. It points to our, when we try to keep it, points to our default inclination of self-salvation. Well, I'm going to do my best anyway. Go ahead, ask people, ask your friends, ask religious people, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? I never killed anybody. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not perfect, but I try hard. I try to be a good husband. I try to work hard. I try to do my best. Right? I'm nice. I'm kind. I try to be nice. I try to be kind. Go ahead. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. You think they're really, that's exactly what most of them are going to say. Right? If you talk to them about how you get to heaven, that's the default position. And that's what these folks were doing. To take the things intended to point us to free grace and the true Savior, the types, the sacrifices, the feasts, and perform them in a way of attempting to gain grace is the height of folly. You understand that? And that's when he said, when he says this, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, the true way of salvation, truly know him. They're seeking to establish their own. And that means you will not submit to God. That's just by, that's, it just follows. That's just logically. If I'm going to make my own way, I'm not going to submit to God's way in that way. These things were never made, never given to make us righteous or to attempt to get righteousness out of that, or make us acceptable with God to some point. And we still fight that. We still fight that in some ways. Some of you here today just got to be good enough. Am I, am I God? Am I good? Or am I going to lose this because I'm not? No, 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 no. But in this context, we're talking about gaining salvation itself, like how you are saved, how one is saved. Trying to establish your own righteousness actually defeats the whole purpose of why Christ came. That's a big deal. What everything that was pointing to in the Old Temple, who was the temple? What did Jesus say in John chapter 2? Tear this temple down and what? I'll rebuild it in three days. Oh, he's crazy. It took all those years to build the temple. They didn't know that he was talking about him. See how they missed Jesus Christ in that. With the sacrifices, the lamb, everything pointed, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, that, that, we're going to reject that lamb because of our own making our own way of righteousness. It's the height of folly. It's the height of arrogance, and it's the height of pride. So when you hear people saying, I'm trying to do good, or that person is so nice and so good, you need to understand that they're, that's a rejection of God because it seems so humble and so sincere on the outside, and they may even think they are, but in their hearts are saying, not good enough, Jesus. Here's what I'm bringing before you, Lord. Please always remember that. That's what was going on right here. Trying to establish your own righteousness defeats the whole purpose of why Christ came, his whole mission. Why did Jesus come? To do for us what we can never do for ourselves, the very thing. Keep the law perfectly for us. For all who believe will have his righteousness, his, his sinless life, his active and passive obedience. You make a mockery of that when you do this kind of thing, and people do it every single day because they're prideful, because they're arrogant, because they want to make their own way. Thank you very much, but here's what I'm going to offer to you, Lord. This is why. And remember, Paul, he, he has love for these people. I don't want to sound, it sounds harsh in this way, but it's, it's out of the deep love because they need to know the truth. In this day and age, we're loving people so much, we're loving them straight to hell by not telling them the actual truth of the gospel. Paul loved them enough to tell them the truth. This is what you're doing, and here's what you ought to be doing in, instead. They're trying to establish that. This is why if you do not by grace submit to Christ, you will reject Him. That's it. You'll reject Him. These kinds of things, when they say this, when they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Verse five, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's it. That's what they're trying to do. We're going to try to live by these commandments. We're going to, okay, that's what you want to do? Okay, then you have to do that perfectly all the way through. Are you up for that? That's that's the idea, and it's Christ, and we'll talk more about this next week. Is the end of the law? So instead of instead of leading you to the Savior, you think you're doing this that you're gonna you see God lead you to salvation. It does the exact opposite. It has the exact opposite effect. You end up rejecting Him. That's what you do, and it was tr- true for so many of the Jews, personified especially by the religious leaders. But it filters on down even to the people themselves. That's exactly what happened with so many who were actually waiting for Messiah. When Messiah came, what did they do? They rejected him because because of the ignorance in their hearts, seeking to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So this attitude of pride and arrogance is is what it leads to. Zeal without knowledge of God leaves you rejecting God's way and seeking your own way. By taking things that are meant to lead you to salvation, instead you try to use those things to earn salvation. That's the big deal, and that's exactly what happens. That's the default position for every single philosophy religion outside of true Christianity. So it's not just for the Jews, but in in their own ways for everybody else. Okay? These attitudes lead to certain things. Eventually, as you're rejecting him, there's going to be attitudes of pride, arrogance, privilege, superiority. That's going to come to the surface at some point. If I'm doing this on my own, if I'm having to do this, and I think I'm doing pretty well, you're going to see things like this. So in Matthew chapter six, verses one and two, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Then you have reward from your fathers in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that you, rece- that they've, re- that they have received their reward. Do you understand that? That's part of that. Well, look at me. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to get, when I, when you give, just- do that between you and the Lord. This is what the hypocrites do: that attitude of pride, arrogance, privilege, and superiority. Matthew six five. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Oh, look at you! What a guy! What a wonderful man! And, and you're doing this for that that kind of that pride. That look, God, look at me! I'm 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 doing this. I'm doing this, and people people appreciate this and appreciate me. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Matthew six sixteen. When you fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces, and I just always make sure that people kind of know. You drop the little hints. You know, I'm fasting. I'm 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 on a fast. You know that's what the hypocrites do. That shows uh, an insincerity, a deep insecurity, and a pride and arrogance that comes with these kinds of workspace. Because if you're a real Christian, you're just going to fast. If you're a real Christian, you're just going to give. You know, if you're a real Christian, you're just going to pray the way you just pray. you go in your prayer closet and pray. If that's not, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't pray publicly, but it's not to gain that attention or to show people or to show God. Luke eighteen eleven and twelve, the the story of the the. Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee standing by himself, and this, this is where that error, this is what it leads to. You understand what Paul's saying? When you have a righteousness of your own, when you're gonna do it your way, then you're gonna, these are some of the, 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 the tragic pitfalls and results of that. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. There's that superiority. I'm not like you. I'm better than you. God knows I'm how good I am, what I've done. So he looks down. I think I'm I'm not like an extortioner, unjust, adulteress, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. Who went home justified in the end? It was the publican and not the Pharisee who did all those good things. See, because that fits right into this category, seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. And we do this all the time. We do it every day. It's not just them. It's you maybe. So many people. And they think so highly of themselves. That's a pitfall. Another pitfall of establishing a righteousness of your own is that you're know you trying to keep the law in an ironic kind of way almost. You actually add to the law. You know that? These kind of people add to the law. And they do it in such a way that they in their minds they're safeguarding the law of god so if the commandment says um you know you shall not steal okay that that's you know, they'll they'll add on to that and they'll say well you can't do this don't don't even don't even um think about going past a place where you might be tempted to steal or, you know, something happened. Here's what you need to do. You need to do this so you won't be going into that. And they'll add layer after layer after layer to try to keep you from getting to that original, breaking that commandment. That's a way of kind of keeping it, at least not breaking it and earning that favor from God. It's like putting up a fence. And I've used this illustration in the past. If you have a house, you have a fence on a busy street so your kids don't go into the street. That's good. Those are the boundaries of the Word of God. That's the law of God. That's awesome. It keeps them safe. It keeps people out. It keeps your kids from going into the busy street. But then you start thinking in your mind, well, I need what if something happens to that fence? Maybe I should put another fence up, you know, in case that one breaks or something. So I'm going to put another fence there. And, and you know, what if the kids can climb that fence? I'm going to put a higher fence in front of that and a fence like this and a fence like that until the fence is like right up against the house and there's nowhere to go. That's what it's like to pile on those laws and and add burdens. That was go. what was going on in Jesus' day. And you know what? It's still going on today. Among many of the religious Jews, you would not believe some of the Sabbath laws that they have. And all of this is tied into what we're talking about this morning, trying to establish a righteousness of their own. I'm doing this so God at least doesn't reject me, and hopefully he'll accept me. So let me read this from you. This is the modern-day, today, uh, Sabbath laws for Orthodox Jews. It says this, The Sabbath laws are quite complex, requiring careful study and a qualified teacher. At first, it's often overwhelming. It seems like an impossible number of restrictions. And then it goes on to say, listen to some of the restrictions. Here are some basic activities from which we refrain from on Sabbath. Writing, erasing, tearing, business transaction, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles, shopping, using the telephone, Turning on or off anything that uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, alarm clocks. No cooking, baking, kindling a fire, gardening, grass mowing, doing laundry. That's just the beginning. It goes on and on, pages and pages of this. For example, so if you can't use lights, here's what you do. You can't use lights. Lights are needed on the Sabbath. They need to be turned on before the Sabbath. So you do that before the Sabbath starts. Also, automatic timers may be used. They always get around it, too. Uh, use automatic timers for a light source appliances as long as they've been set before sabbath the refrigerator may be used but again we have to ensure that it, that it use does not endanger anything for, forbidden on the sabbath activity on the sabbath thus the fridge light should be disconnected before sabbath by unscrewing the light bulb slightly in the and in the freezer whose fan activates when the door is open may not be used I could go on and on and on. This is the this is what it gets down to. This is what it looks like. It's not a joke, and this is what people do. Why? Because they think that they're they want to put those those barriers before they before so God doesn't and He might accept them. See, that's a righteousness of our own. It was happening then; it happens to this day. Right. Those are modern-day examples. So you add to the law. That's called legalism. That's legalism. Well, if God says you're not to be drunk with wine, then you shouldn't even drink one drink because you might become a drunk. That's legalism. Or you shouldn't even look at alcohol. That's legalism. We had one person in Topeka, Kansas, said you shouldn't have vanilla in your cooking cabinet because it has alcohol in it and that could lead to alcoholism that's legalism that's the the layers and layers and layers there and that's a form of trying not to, to please God and not to break that law do you understand that's what this leads to when you want a righteousness of your own get it you're doing it also, paradoxically, almost, it also lowers the standard, right? It lowers the standard of the law. It, the, the, well, that's what this does when you're trying to keep it, because you can't, so you have to lower the standard. So for, with divorce, for example, by Jesus' day, do you know what it took to get a divorce? Just a c- certificate. If my wife burned the cooking, we would have been divorced a long time ago. Because, no, no, she's actually very good. She hasn't burned <laughs> But you could do that. That was cause. All you needed was a note. Right? You are not pleased in that way. So, so that, that, that gets, it lowers the standard, actually, because you add on to that. What about the Corban? Do you remember the Corban? That, that money that, that was given. Here, here's the idea behind the Corban. We're not going to turn to the passage, but in Mark chapter seven, you could read about it. Corban was a gift that was, was, it means devoted to God as a gift. So what they would do is they would take money and Instead of, and sometimes like out of the family, even out of the pensions and so forth, take that money and give it to the temple because they were so holy and righteous? No, because when you give money to organizations, what's that give you? Status, it gives you pull. it gives you a voice, right? Oh, he gave that much. Oh, it puts you on the list of donors. What Jesus said, You you have a fine way of getting around the commandments, don't you? You take that money and you give it as Corban to the temple, which gives you an advantage because now you have a stake and a name in that instead of taking that money and rightly giving it to your parents that have no money. So you are dishonoring and you're breaking that fifth commandment. See how easy it is to get around the commandments? They lower the standard because you can't keep the standard. So we have to lower it. You understand? You see what this is doing? They're seeking a righteousness of their own. They will not submit to God's righteousness. They can't. So they're going to come up with their own. And there's great hypocrisy in that. I do want to read from Matthew 23. I was going to read from Romans 2, but just turn to Matthew 23 because it sums up everything that I'm saying. And it speaks to the religious leaders, but it's the heart really of all those who want to seek their own righteousness and think that you're good and think that you can. Please God, apart from Christ, because of what you do. So Matthew, you know the passage. I won't read all of it, obviously. But Matthew 23, and listen, Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees just kind of sums up everything I've been saying to this point. Jesus says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses, so observe what they tell you. But not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. There's the hypocrisy. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulder, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love places of honors at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Then go down to verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites For you shut out the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves. Now remember, the Pharisees really thought that they were going to heaven. They believed that God's favor was on them, and they were doing everything they were supposed to do. And here's Jesus rebuking, and Paul's writing about this. And this is how they missed the kingdom of God, because they don't turn it over to God, but to themselves. You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, you blind guides. He goes down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but the inside... But inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. And he goes on and on and teaches them this legalism. This is what the law does. This is where it, this is where it brings you. When you seek to establish your own righteousness, you will always reject Jesus Christ. There's no way because you're in competition with him as it were, right? You, you're, it's like saying, God, you know, don't, don't look at Jesus' work. Don't don't look over there, God. Don't look at Jesus' perfect finished work. But, but here's my, here, look at my work. Here's my mess that I'm bringing before. Here's Jesus' perfection, perfect righteousness and holiness that he's accomplished on our behalf. But you want to say, God, don't look at that. Look at what I'm bringing you, okay? Look what I'm presenting before you, how hard I tried, how good I'm seeking to be. But you see how it ends up. It's a mess, and it's terrible and it doesn't suffice. What you're saying, and here's again, that sin, it comes off, and we just take it for granted when we see people, when we admire them, and we think they're doing so well. You better believe in their heart of hearts that that's not the case, that there's an arrogance there, that there's a pride there. There's a rejection of Jesus Christ there. And they're saying, I don't need the one who actually kept the law. I don't need the one who actually fulfilled the law. I don't need the one who actually paid the price. I don't need the one who actually appeased and pleased God, who took away the wrath. I don't need him so that my sins will be forgiven, so that I'm reconciled to God, so that I'm counted as righteous. I could do this. I'm counted as righteous, not for anything that I've done or not for anything that I could ever do, but only because of what Jesus Christ has done. Our zeal, our works, can never attain this. That's what Paul is saying here to these people. They have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. They don't know the grace of Christ, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. They knew all the outward rules, but they didn't have them in his heart. Seeking to establish their own, that's a default position, and you will not submit to God's righteousness. That's the result of that. We need to see and understand this. Please don't be like that in your own life. Because if you're raised, it especially affects second and third generation. The first generation, you're truly converted. But when you're bringing your kids up and your kids' kids are coming up, there's a tendency to fall into that trap in evangelicalism. To just make those kids kind of assume they're little Christians bring them to the, what they need to do, bring them to a wanna. bring them to Bible study, church, camp, church this, church that, memorization, read your Bibles, family devotion. They're not bad things necessarily, but don't count on those things to save your kids or your family. It's Jesus Christ alone because we get into that habit. We get into that pattern of doing and doing and doing and assuming. You're getting farther and farther away from Christ and more and more into this lane of working for salvation. So your kids are going to know everything about God, but they're not going to have God if you do not preach the gospel to them, if you don't pray for regeneration and their conversion to take place. You understand that because then they're going to grow up and they're not going to know him. And they're going to be challenged by the world, tempted by the world, and there they go into the world. Or they're going to continue to work and try and do their best and just end up in this place of, of frustration and just pain and just sorrow and just insecurity of not knowing. If I'm good enough, if I've done enough, if he could really accept. Well, my dad believes, or my dad's a preacher, or my dad's an elder, so I must be saved. No. No. Paul Washer says, and I'll leave you with this. Paul Washer says, the only thing I've contributed to my salvation is my sin. That's it. If it's 99% God and 1% me, I still fail. It's all of Christ. It's all of grace. Nothing that we can do. And Paul's saying this here. This is why those that were so close, those that were right around Christ, so many didn't come because they exchanged that truth for a lie They tried to do it themselves instead of resting on Jesus Christ alone. Well, next week we're going to see the source and the sweetness of true salvation and what that means.